Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This Life Science Focus podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. Hello and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm delighted to introduce a very special guest on the show. Today we have with us Dr. Genevieve Neal Perry, MD, PhD, who is a professor and chair at UNC School of Medicine, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And she's also lead investigator on a study investigating Vioza or Fezolinitant, which is a drug developed by Estella's Pharma that received FDA approval in May this year for the treatment of moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms, or VMS, due to menopause. It's the first non-hormonal neurokinin-3 or NK3 receptor antagonist approved to treat vasomotor symptoms, which include hot flashes and night sweats, among other symptoms that are associated with menopause. It's estimated that about 60 to 80% of women experience vasomotor symptoms uh, after, during or after the menopausal transition, and this can have a significant impact on daily activities and overall quality of life. Dr. Neil Perry will speak to us about some of the work that was presented at the annual meeting of the Menopause Society on um, Vesalinitant, and this includes the uh, some of the latest clinical data looking at the effect of the, of the drug on moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms in subgroups based on hormone therapy history from pooled data from two randomized phase three studies, as well as safety data over a period of 52 weeks as well. So Without further ado, to learn more about the latest uh, trial data for Fezolinitin, let's turn to Dr. Neil Perry. Welcome to the show, Dr. Neil Perry. Uh, um, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, very happy to be here. Thank you. And so I'd like to start off by asking what exactly, I did mention um, some of the vasomotor symptoms or VMS that are associated with um, menopause, but what exactly are they and how do these symptoms really impact the quality of life for menopausal women? Uh, um, thanks, Lucia. That's a great question. Uh, vasomotor symptoms are essentially um, the sensation of feeling hot, and it's typically from the, the chest up, and you just have this very just random sensation of all, you know, feeling hot, sweating, um, can be disruptive to um, your sleep at night so that people can feel tired. Often um, people affected may complain of brain fog because they're tired and not able to think as clearly, as well as it can be just disruptive um, when you're going about your daily um, activities, particularly as a professional, if you're all of a sudden you're feeling hot and you're sweating and you're, you know, you're needing to remove um, layers of clothing. And so that definitely uh, has an impact on the quality of life. And uh, so could you tell us how some a drug like fezolinitant works uh, as a non-hormonal therapy and why its FDA approval was so pivotal? Yeah, you, you know, for many years, you know, we've known for many, many, many years that people who have the menopause or the menopausal transition experience vasomotor symptoms and that these vasomotor symptoms are very disruptive to quality of life. Um, 
but we didn't really understand what what caused them. We knew that it was related to um, the loss of hormonal, um, um, particularly estrogen in, in women. And, um, and we knew that estrogen could help reduce them, but we didn't really understand why. And um, what's so um, exciting about Tezolinitid uh, is that it actually treats the cells that cause the hot flashes. So it's selective, um, unlike estrogen, and because est estrogen works pretty much everywhere. Estrogen receptors are throughout the entire body, whereas the, um, the, the um, neurons, which are called candy neurons, are special neurons because they're responsive to estrogen, but they also respond to um, phezolinotin. Mm. And so the way these neurons work is that typically under estrogen, like an estrogen environment, an estrogen enriched environment, like what we have when you're premenopausal, these neurons are pretty quiet. They're not very active. If the ovaries are removed or you have a natural menopause that withdraws the estrogen, and what happens to these neurons is they become very active. They become hyperactive and they release um, um, some uh, biochemical um, agent called um, neurokinin. And this neurokinin will activate the neuron itself, but also activate the neurons um, located in the brain region that cause hot flashes. And so that's what we learned. You know, we've learned this over the past decade um, with work done by myself and um, Naomi Rance and others, that these neurons are really critical um, to hot flashes. So what's so unique about phezolinotin is that this uh, phezolinotin is a, what's called an NK3 receptor antagonist, which is neurokinin-3 receptor. And these neurons are located on the candy neurons, and they're located on the neurons that cause hot flashes. So it's a very specific treatment for hot flashes. And um, as a result, we don't worry about breast cancer. We don't worry about um, uh, needing um, progesterone to prevent um, cancer of the uterus. And, and some of the things that you may be concerned about with using hormones, um, you don't have those same concerns with the phezolimitin. Uh, and so speaking of hormonal therapy, um, I know that you have looked at the use of phezolinotin on uh, vasomotor symptoms in subgroups that have a history of being on hormonal therapy. So could you tell us a bit about uh, some of the results and what you've seen in, in that kind of a group of patients? Yeah. So um, first of all, um, estrogen, which is the hormone we're talking about, um, is, a, is an effective drug for hot flashes, but not everyone can use estrogen mm -hmm. and not everyone wants to use estrogen. So having an effective non-hormonal option was really important for women and people affected by hot flashes. The phezolinotent um, ability to reduce hot flashes in people who can't use estrogen or who use estrogen in the past was a question for us. And what we did was we were able to look at subgroups, people who are naive to estrogen, people who use estrogen, to see whether they're equally uh, responsive to phezolinotin. And what we were able to show is that um, for people who would never use estrogen versus people who have used estrogen, that phezolinotin was equally um, effective. Hmm. That was Very all. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, that was also true for people who were adverse to um, estrogen um, or people who were not um, suitable for estrogen because they may have a medical problem that um, does not allow them to use it. 
Right. And so definitely there was, you know, uh, an unmet need in this space where uh, there was a great need for non-hormonal options that uh, are targeted um, because I know that there are some other drugs, uh, antidepressants even, and things like that, that are used for the treatment uh, of symptoms associated with menopause. So I think this is really groundbreaking indeed. Yeah, Yeah, indeed. And and you're right. There are um, disorders where you cannot use estrogen as part Mm -hmm. of the treatment. Um, people who have cancer, who have a diagnosis of a hormone responsive cancer, mm-hmm. can give them estrogen. Um, people who have blood clotting disorders, they're not eligible for um, estrogen. Um, people who um, may be um, obese with diabetes, they're not great candidates for um, for estrogen. And all of the, all the obese individuals, people who um, can't use estrogen for one reason or another, were all equally um, responsive to on fedzolinitin. So, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. definitely great to have options for people. And for many years, we didn't have effective options. You you mentioned um, some of the antidepressants. Uh, you know, they, they work, but they don't always work um, mm-hmm. in everyone. And um, they can certainly have some side effects that people don't prefer. And um, similar to um, estrogen, there are people who are averse to using mm-hmm. an antidepressant if they don't have a diagnosis of depression. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around yeah. why do I need to use this? Right. The case. Yeah. Absolutely. That's uh, definitely, uh, again, very pivotal here. And um, so, really exciting to, to learn more about it. And um, also, I know that um, as part of some of the presentations at the the recent annual meeting of the Menopause Society, you also had some data on taking a look at um, the efficacy of fezolinotint uh, according to time of day and also uh, some safety data over uh, a, a one-year period. So could you speak to us about all of uh, that yeah, data as well? I sure can. So one of one question that we so we had several questions that were addressed um, at our the NAMS meeting um, this past fall. Uh, one was about um, individuals who were naive or not able to take estrogen were they responsive, and then another question that um, often came up was is it as effective during the day as it is at night? So if you take a dose in the morning, does it still work at night? And so we actually did that study. We looked at um, the responsiveness of individuals who are impacted with uh, moderate to severe hot flashes. So on average, they had like 11, 10 to 11 hot flashes. And we looked at whether it was reduced during the day compared to placebo. And placebo basically is you take a pill that's not the medication, but people don't know which one is which. And this way, you, you, you're not um, biasing um, people's um, perception. And um, we also looked at um, individuals who are having hot flashes at night compared to placebo, was it effective? And um, it was very effective, um, both during the day as well as during the night. Um, and it was most effective with the dose that we actually have um, available for the treatment of hot flashes, which is a 45 milligram dose. Your other question about um, safety. Yeah. So there are several things that we looked at with regard to safety. Um, one was um, whether or not there was bleeding 
associated with it because there were concerns around um, with hormones about risk for um, cancer. And we looked at that, we looked at that and there were, there was no um, signal for cancer. We also um, looked at um, a whole host of things. And the most common um, thing that we saw was headache um, and COVID. So most of the studies were done during the COVID. So, you know, makes sense. Surprise. Right. Um, a previous um, NK receptor antagonist that had been studied and, and they were try- trying to um, move into phase three, one of the key issues with it was that it caused elevated liver enzymes. And so there was concern that it actually caused liver damage. And so we were very focused on that because obviously we don't want to cause cause harm. We want to improve um, quality of life um, without any um, adverse effects. And so we looked at the um, liver enzymes and we did not see a difference between our placebo group and our treatment group in terms of any effects on the liver. And we did not see um, anything, any liver enzyme increases that imply drug-induced toxicity. Um, we, we did see um, some people, and, and this is just one of these rare and weird things where some people, um, many people benefited in terms of sleep and some people didn't. Um, and, um, and those are some of the most common things that, um, really kind of popped out of the study. Excellent. And so how do these results, um, impact clinical practice and how, how do they translate into the real world setting in terms of, uh, you know, you, you yourself as a gynecologist, um, when you prescribe something like fesalinitant, how do you describe it to patients and also to colleagues and how, how do you think this will transform things in, in clinical practice. Yeah, there, there are a couple of things that have been, tra- that are transformative about fesalinitin. Um, one, one thing is that there's a very fast um, onset of action. So if you're using mm-hmm. like the um, antidepressants, you're using estrogens, it's typically more than, you know, it takes a couple of weeks before people actually feel better. We see people feeling better within a few days, definitely mm-hmm. within less, um, less than a week which is transformative because that right. has not been the case. Yeah. That was true in the studies and we definitely see it in, um, in clinical practice. Um, the other thing um, you know, that we see is that um, we see people having um, better sleep, um, you know, they have reduced hot flashes, and as a result, they have a better quality of life. Um, it is ideal for people who cannot use estrogen um, or who are estrogen adverse, whether it's because you're concerned about their family history or they're just not comfortable doing it. And so it's fantastic that we actually have an option that actually works, um, you know, and um, it is highly effective. You, you have uh, much, you know, less, um, more than 50% reduction in hot flashes and that patients are actually saying, I feel better. What more could you ask for, right? <laughs> That's the bottom line exactly. that patients are feeling better. That's yeah. awesome. And, and that's the most important thing that patients feel better. Absolutely. And so what's next for Fesalinitant, uh, in terms of uh the trials that you are leading? Uh what other um yeah. what data can we expect in, in the coming months and uh really where where do things go from here? Yeah, so we we are um, planning to do some observational studies, um, looking at um, women um, and people 
who have used um, like SSRIs or antidepressants and then switched over to Yoza, being able to see whether you see a, a better uh, profile for those people. Um, a, a couple other things that I didn't say that I, I want to say um, about um, Fezolimitant is that um, unlike um, some of the hormonal treatments, women who are obese are not at risk for a blood clot. And, and this is a really important. And what's even more important is that when um, the study was designed, we, it included people who were overweight and obese. And the reason that's important is because in many other studies that are designed to look at, you know, whether a drug is um, effective, they exclude people who are overweight and obese. Oh. And, and another reason why that's really important is because when we when we look at burden, like who's most likely to have hot flashes, right. people who are overweight and obese, right? And so to exclude that exclude is, I mean, it's just like a gap in care, right? Yeah. And so that we were very intentional in including that group. And we know from our data that that group, the treatment is highly effective. The other group um, that I, I want to call out because I think there's not, um, you know, there's more people aware today than I would say two years ago, but there are um, real ethnic and racial differences in, mm. in hot flashes and a burden. And um, and in some some subgroups of African Americans who cannot use estrogen, the SSRIs are not as effective, mm. and so. It was really important for um, us to have a study that was designed and that included a diverse uh, patient population. Yeah. And the the number or percentage of African-American um, women included in the study was nearly similar to population density, which is That's a really great. important thing. And so the other um, finding in the study is that it was highly effective. We saw that women of color have more hot flashes and when treated with the fezolinotent, their their um, response was similar in terms of the number of hot flashes as their white counterparts. So it was like, you know, really bridging that gap and reducing right. that disparity in terms of mm -hmm. birth. Um, in terms of, you know, where do we go from here? You know, we do want to understand a little bit more about um, Vioza or fezolinotent and its impact on sleep. Um, and with that, we also will want to understand a little bit more in terms of whether if you improve sleep, that you also improve weight. Uh, weight oh, okay. yeah. uh, often a side effect of, um, or I should say, co-varies with mm. uh, sleep dysfunction. And there's a whole biology behind that. So if we can improve sleep, do we mm -hmm. see improvement in some of the metabolic parameters that we know increase your risk for heart disease? Um, one, one of my hopes is that we will um, do a study specifically targeting um, people with breast cancer or hormone responsive cancer, mm -hmm. because there's an unmet need there to, you know, to make sure that, you know, we prove and demonstrate that it's safe and that you can, you know, you can use it. Um, there are other things, um, you know, that we intend to look at in terms of sleep quality, um, in terms of just observationally, you know, looking at some of the other drugs such as gabapentin, SSRIs, compared to fezolinotent, you know, and looking at some of the quality of life uh, indicators. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So, Dr. Uh, Neil Paul, in the end, what do you think would be, you know, the overall take home messages, both for physicians, investigators, and patients alike? 
the to me, you know, when I step back and I look at the data, the take home message is, is that we actually have an effective treatment for hot flashes that can be used as an alternative therapy, you know, in terms of estrogen. So we have an effective alternative to estrogen for people who cannot use estrogen or who do not want to use estrogen. Which, you know, we haven't been here before now, so. Exactly. And that's big. Yeah, that is big. That's big. Well, thank you very much once again, Dr. Neil Perry, for being on the show today. I greatly appreciate your time. And thank you so much for sharing all of the important and uh, ground groundbreaking results, I would say, for a drug like Fezolinitant. And uh, looking forward to seeing more of your work and uh, on the drug and and how and to see how it will truly come to impact patients' lives, which is yeah. most important. Yeah, and uh, you know, very very excited uh, as well. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com, or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.